thank you for calling psychology to go how can i help you hey um i like to place an order what's your special for today today's special is about the relationship between sharing food and cooperation welcome to psychology to go i'm your host marissa fu today we will be joined by liz wilson here to discuss sharing food and cooperation Liz Wilson is currently a second year graduate student in Jimmy Calanchini's Social and Spatial Cognition Lab at the University of California, Riverside. Her current research involves applying formal mathematical models to measures of self-identity. In addition to that, she is broadly interested in the mechanisms underlying bias and why biases form, change, and vary between people. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. We're so excited to have you. And so we're just going to dive into our topic, which is sharing food and cooperation. So Liz, if you could tell us a bit about um, sharing food and cooperation and what this kind of revolves around, that'd be a great start. Yeah, excited to talk about how sharing plates relates to cooperation. So the notion that a meal can bring people together, that it's like sort of like a social glue, it's something that's empirically supported, but it's also something that is just intuitively supported, like it just intuitively makes sense. When you think of all these different social activities that people do in order to feel more connected with each other, a lot of these activities either involve food in some capacity or sometimes they completely revolve around food. So think about like families, sometimes they'll have barbecues and get together. Or when you're first starting to get to know a romantic partner, a lot of times you go out to eat for dinner. Or just other like larger social activities like weddings and holiday parties, oftentimes those involve food. So some researchers at Cornell University and the University of Chicago were interested in exploring this idea, but they wanted to move beyond just, you know, eating food together and wanted to see how sharing plates and that specifically, how that influences social interactions um, and just cooperation. And if that um, if the cooperation is facilitated through the coordination that happens when you are sharing plates with other people. So when you think about shared meals or family style meals, oftentimes there's kind of coordination that's going on. Like you kind of have to see what other people are doing, wait your turn, gauge how much food is left, what kind of food that you can take. There's a level of coordination that goes on. So they were thinking, um, their hypothesis was that when people share meals with each other, the coordination that kind of gets developed through that process is something that can lead to um, promoted cooperation in future tasks. So that is the idea that they aimed to explore in a set of three different studies that I would love to introduce a little bit. Of course, thank you so much for diving into that and we'd love to hear it. Great, yeah, so in these studies, they recruited undergraduate students as well as grad students and put them into two different experimental conditions. In one condition, they had participants, they paired them up and had them share some food. And in the other condition, they each pair of participants kind of got like their own individual set of food. So they weren't sharing with each other. 
after the participants like in, finished eating their snack, then they engaged in this negotiation task, which was kind of supposed to be a measure of cooperation. So in this negotiation task, the participants um, were supposed to come to kind of like a financial agreement. And it was thought that the quicker this pair could come to a financial agreement, that reflected greater cooperation. But if it took a really long time to reach agreement, then that reflected um, poorer cooperation. And what they found from this study is that when participants had to share the snack before they engaged in this negotiation task, they seemed to cooperate better with each other compared to the group that had um, separate snacks and didn't have to um, you know, coordinate eating the snack together. So that was the result of the first study. In the second study, they aimed to extend the findings of that and see if it extended to different types of negotiation tasks. And the difference between the negotiation task in the second study versus the first study is that um, it was kind of like a prisoner's dilemma situation. But it that study pretty um, strongly replicated the results of the first study. So participants who were sharing the snack tended to cooperate better on the prisoner's dilemma task compared to participants who ate separately. And then in the third study, they wanted to see if this effect um, persisted across different types of interpersonal relationships. So in study one and two, the partners were essentially strangers. And in study three, they wanted to see like, what would this look like if the, pair, if the pairs of partners were like friends with each other. So they um, had different experimental conditions where um, pairs of the partners were friends and then in another condition where um, they were strangers. And they again found this same effect that when the pairs were eating food or sharing a meal with each other, in the negotiation task that followed up, they would tend to cooperate better with each other. And this was kind of a cool study to just see how far this effect generalizes to. It does seem to generalize to different types of interpersonal relationships, which is really neat. Like this is an effect that can be seen with strangers as well as friends. So yeah, that's kind of um, how they explored the idea of how meal sharing promotes cooperation. Wow, and that's fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, it's definitely interesting how it can apply to both, you know, different kinds of relationships, as you mentioned, both strangers and interpersonal re relationships that are already existing. And so I kind of wanted to dive deeper into this concept of sharing plates. Um, and so I know, um, for example, some cultures may be more... Um, may have the culture that revolves around sharing plates more. For example, um, Asian cultures, um, I, I'm Chinese, and so personally in my family, um, every meal we actually eat ends up being family style. Um, but for example, maybe in like a French culture um, with individual plates that are being served to each person, um, this may not promote as much of a cooperation, is this correct? Yeah, I think that could be, that's definitely one takeaway from this, these sets of studies. Do you think that maybe if everyone was to just sit around and have a meal and share together, that we would be a lot, it would be a lot easier for everyone to cooperate? 
Yeah, I definitely think it would be interesting. Um, maybe, maybe the implications of this are that maybe work colleagues should think about getting like shared meals out or shared lunches or romantic partners or any, any sort of group of people who might need to cooperate with each other in the future. Definitely. I completely agree. And it sounds like a great way to not only facilitate um, peace, but also to facilitate conversation and getting to know each other. Um, and so I guess this is going to um, transition us into our next question, which is how can this be applied in a real world context? So maybe not only with your friends, but maybe on a domestic or global scale. Um, I think that's an interesting idea and one worth one worth maybe trying. Uh, I feel like I, I question the maybe like the size of the effect or like I guess the efficacy of this type of like intervention or like this idea of sharing food. I guess it would it would seem a little maybe foolish to think that like if we put like Trump and Biden in the same room and had them share some like hibachi or like have them like yeah. I don't know um yeah eat some Indian food together if that would to what extent would that promote cooperation but um I think I think the idea is interesting yeah definitely so um from what I'm hearing like this would definitely work on a much smaller scale then yeah, I I still um I still question the, the the extent or the the size of the effect or I guess like the power of this um intervention or this like idea of sharing food but um I think yeah like it would be really interesting to see if this could extend to broader scales. Definitely. And maybe even um I guess my main kind of train of thought with this was maybe it could you know extend to peacekeeping in the future um as just a way to start off so for example maybe starting a um like a congress meeting before having a meeting they would all sit down and share food um but again the efficacy and the effect size definitely would have a role in this yeah i think it's definitely an empirical question worth pursuing but like a really great idea Great. And so I guess we're going to wrap this up, this section up, um, by kind of talking about what people can learn from this and maybe how can they apply this in their own lives. Um, So maybe if others have social anxiety, do you think that um, them sitting down with whoever that they may have social anxiety with, um, if this would promote like communication and cooperation? Yeah, I think so. Um, I know the study really only looked at the effects of sharing meals in terms of cooperation, but I think it really begs the question, like, what other positive psychological benefits can we see emerging from sharing a plate? And I think it could certainly help with people who are suffering from social anxiety or just social, like, loneliness and isolation, especially in this, like, pandemic and I think post-pandemic that'll continue to be an issue. Definitely and I can see how even post-pandemic sharing a meal with people or you know learning how to re-socialize with people um, could definitely be facilitated by um, sharing a plate of food. Yeah absolutely. So thank you so much for um, speaking on this topic, Liz. It's been great to have you. Um, I'd like to know a little bit more about you. Um, If you'd like to talk a little bit about your research in social psychology. Yeah, I'd love to talk briefly about what projects I'm working on at the moment. And at the moment, I'm kind of interested in, or I'm involved in this study with college drinkers and drinking behaviors. 
it's really been a social priority of researchers to um, explore and identify any sort of cognitive factors that could be targeted for alcohol intervention and prevention efforts. That's great. And, uh, so in my research, we kind of take that a step further and we look at the different um, cognitive the underlying cognitive mechanisms that are mediating that relationship. So that's kind of, yeah, the research that I've been working on. Wow, that definitely sounds like a worthy cause to be um, researching. And it's great to hear that you've been really diving into this and you're passionate about it. Um, we'd love to hear more about this in the future from you. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, if you could tell us what's upcoming and next for you. Yeah, well, I hope to continue working with different cognitive processes and just continue exploring the mechanisms underlying different types of behaviors. So hopefully my future research will continue to do that. And I'm launching a study, actually, hopefully in the spring. And if all goes well, soon I'll have some more to report on that. Sounds great. And so just to keep tabs on you, where can we find you in the future? Yeah, so you can find me on the Riverside Spatial and Social Cognition Lab at UCR. And the website, I believe, is just rssclab at ucr.edu. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. All right, great. Thank you so much for coming on, Liz, today. This concludes our episode. Um, and it was great to have you here on psychology to go Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for coming to Psychology To Go. To reorder your favorite episodes, visit our website. See you next time.